Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. A miss is as good as a mile. The Tokyo Electric Power Company, or TEPCO, has started the third round of discharge of what they call treated water from the damaged Fukushima nuclear power plant. The discharge of nearly 8,000 tons, or the equivalent of four Olympic-sized pools of uh, contaminated water, started last Thursday and is expected to take two and a half weeks. Double that amount has already gone into the Pacific Ocean during the previous two rounds of discharge, despite strong protests from home and abroad. Now, China promptly banned all seafood imports from Japan, but the latter insists that it will continue to release a total of 1.3 million tons of such water into the Pacific Ocean over the next 30 years. Meanwhile, polls show Japanese people and those in affected regions are yet to be fully convinced about the reliability of the plan, especially after one accident happened a day before the announcement of the third discharge. Two on-site workers had to be hospitalized for decontamination from radioactivity after a hose went loose channeling the contaminated water. Welcome to a special edition of The Point with me, Li Xin, coming to you from Beijing. We want to answer how can TEPCO address its apparent trust deficit? What's the international community saying about this and what China is asking for? I'm pleased to be joined from Beijing here in the studio by Aina Tangan, Senior Fellow at Taihe Institute, from Hong Kong by Julian de Lavansan, Assistant Professor of the Division of Public Policy at Hong Kong University of Science and Technology and uh, from Kingston, Jamaica by Duncan Curry, an international law expert. Gentlemen, welcome to The Point and thank you very much for being with us. Um, I just want to give a quick rundown of what happened since Japan decided to release the wastewater in April 2021. Japan finally decides to discharge contaminated radioactive wastewater in Fukushima Free Pack prefecture into the sea. In December 2021, TEPCO submitted the Alps Treated Water Construction Plan for dilution and discharge facilities. In July 2022, Japan's Nuclear Regulation Authority approves the plan. In June 2023, TEPCO announced the completion of the construction of the discharge system. In July 2023, which is this year, of course, the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, Director General Rafael Grossi presented an assessment report on the disposal plan, saying that it is in conformity with the agreed international standards, but adds IAEA does not endorse the plan or recommend this to be done, while Japanese side claimed that its plan had been, quote-unquote, authoritatively verified. In August, October and November this year, TEPCO goes ahead with three rounds of discharges despite strong opposition at home and abroad, and each discharge will last about, lasts about 18 days. So this is a quick rundown of what has happened. Now let's come to what I mentioned as the accident which happened on October the 25th. According to TEPCO, a hose channeling contaminated solutions came loose, spraying the liquid on five workers on site. According to the AP, two of the workers had the liquid soaked through their double layer 
hazmat suits and underwear and could not sufficiently lower the radiation levels and they had to be taken to a hospital for further decontamination and monitoring. The Japan Times reports that on one of the workers, the radioactive level detected exceeded the safety level set by the plant. The two men underwent decontamination procedures at the plant, but their radiation levels did not come down sufficiently, quote unquote. So after reading these, these reports, my question is exactly how much liquid gushed out because if you listen to the original report it seems that it's only a couple of a hundred milliliter and a couple of days later according to the company they corrected what they were saying they said actually as much as a few liters gushed out so a hundred milliliter versus a few liters, that's a very big discrepancy over the time span of only four days. Aina, let me go to you first. Um, why are we having such discrepancy? Exactly what happened? Well, I mean, the, the hose came loose, but the, the issue here, it goes to the credibility of TEPCO. I mean, TEPCO has uh, only lied when they've opened their mouth. I mean, they've been fined billions of dollars. Their executive have been dismissed. Yet they're still in charge of everything. And this, this is what is really befuddling. Why is everybody so anxious to believe a company uh, that is responsible for this nuclear disaster in terms of locating it where it is and lying about it literally at every single stage since that time? You know, this is like uh, telling a bank robber, says, well, we want you to conduct the investigation and also to make sure that the money is returned. It's inconceivable. Why isn't an independent entity taking control of this? And, you know, you have to put that down to the um, Japanese uh, government. They refuse to allow any kind of outside uh, uh, oversight. Uh, all of the data that is being fed to the IEAE -E and the rest of the world, guess where it comes from? TEPCO. You're forced to believe that they're now suddenly telling you the truth. And then this latest incident, very, very clearly, uh, there's a huge difference. You couldn't soak two people with a teacup full of water. A hundred milliliter, exactly. You know, that's why I was, I was almost laughing off my chair. I'm sorry, a hundred milliliter. And that's the exact words from TEPCO on October the 25th. It says approximately a hundred milliliters of liquid containing radioactive substances had gushed out of the hose, estimating from the amount of liquid from the floor. But four days later, the company told reporters that the amount may have been as much as several liters from the the accounts of the worker and the floor area with traces of the liquid julian before we go to you know whether it is safe to discharge the plant from these huge discrepancies it is puzzling um how come the company only said a hundred milliliter in the in the beginning and then four days later say a few liters Yes, so uh, it would be hard for me to comment on this. All I know is that it's been a few hundred milliliters. If it happens that a few days after uh, they have to rectify this information, well, it might be uh, because of many reasons that we don't know. I would not be alerted, though, neither on the safety of the process and neither on the ability of TEPCO to be transparent. For me, this is not an incident that should alert us at all. Why not? because this type of incident happens quite regularly in many different uh, power plants, including nuclear power plants. You have uh, workers that can be exposed to an abnormal level of radiation, and we're not shutting down nuclear power plants for these reasons. In addition to that, I want to say that according to the information that I've read, 
this water apparently is not the wastewater that is being discharged. This might be a byproduct of the processing system, but as according to what I understand, this is not the wastewater that we're talking about. This may be the case. I'm not saying that it is the wastewater that is gushed out and contaminated the workers. I'm saying a hose channeling the uh, um, radioactive waste that has went loose. But here is the problem. The reporting, the immediate reporting was so milky, was so misleading. Um, I, I, I don't sure. know. <laughs> well, listen, I mean, I, first off, uh, this was definitely contaminated if it's, it's showing the kind of radiation levels. Now, it's not, it is not conceivable that you can soak through these double-layered contamination suits all the way to somebody's underwear with a teacup full of water. Uh, this idea that you shouldn't be concerned about it and the poo-pooing is, I find it very odd. The information is coming from TEPCO. TEPCO has, in the past, lied consistently and they've been fined for it. It's not a question of my, my saying that. Now, you've indicated that you say, oh, you, you have some information. Well, why don't you disclose where that information come from? Does it come from TEPCO? Or does it come from the IAEA? Where are you getting this information since uh, the rest of us have no idea? Julian, you want to reply or? All this information is the one that I've written uh, public news. And of course, it will probably be from TEPCO, but now we're getting into another discussion whether we should trust TEPCO the Japanese authorities and the IEA. This is another discussion we can have. But right now, if you want to focus on the on this incident, we can stay focused on this event. Yeah. I don't know. Wait a second. You're saying that there's not a credibility issue when it comes to the fact that they've just contradicted themselves about how much water was released or how much contamination was released. I mean, that as goes as to I credibility. Said, can... I, I, I don't even your point is not well taken, sir. It is credibility that we're talking about here. The credibility of the wastewater that's being released, the process Alps, which was never approved by yeah. the IAEA, and the fact that they keep continuing to lie about facts on the ground. So yes, credibility is an issue. So credibility has been an issue for TEPCO, but lately they have shown us that they have they prove uh, capable of transparency because they have invited the International Atomic Energy Agency, which is the nuclear watchdog of the United Nations, and which is trusted by all nations around the earth, earth including China. Yes, so they're only uh, inviting yeah, the Chinese let, experts yeah. on the ground, Russian experts during the process of validating the Alps uh, processing system. So yes, I would say that uh, TEPCO has had credibility issues in the past, and that right now they are showing that they are learned their lessons and that they are showing much more no, transparency. So I would, and uh, related to this incident that I, sh I don't think we should spend too much time on it, Yes, there might be miscommunication, there might be uh, some form of lack of honesty or some uh, urgency of giving uh, the news about a few hundred of milliliters. Perhaps it was a few liters. I don't think we should focus on that right now to assess whether TEPCO is transparent or not, or whether the system overall is safe or not. It, TEPCO has already given many proofs that it's willing okay. to collaborate and being transparent. I get, you, I get your point. The, um, I think precisely for a lot of people, this is the point. They cannot trust TEPCO or they cannot trust what the Japanese authorities are saying on this issue. Um, Duncan, let me go to you. You have been listening to this. I don't know what is your take mm -hmm. on this. Exactly mm -hmm. why the discrepancy? Do you think it is an important point to discuss? Well, I, I, I do because I think Julian highlighted the issue of both the ALP system and the transparency. And to my mind, this is crucial because if the 
ALP system cannot be trusted to function as it, they said it will, then that undermines the complete credibility and the reliability of the work that the International Atomic Energy Agency did. It's really, really important because if we have uh, radioactive substances going into the ocean, such as strontium-90, carbon-14, we won't know that. You won't be able to trust that. So again, credibility and transparency is absolutely at the heart of this issue. It's not just about contaminating a couple of workers. It's about whether we can actually trust TEPCO to process the water to the levels it said they're going to do so, which is what the International Atomic Energy Agency has evaluated. And th this is the fundamental problem. The Japanese government has failed to carry out a full environmental impact assessment. I'm not just talking about the radiological assessment that they did, I'm talking about a full environmental assessment of the cumulative impacts over 30 years of the pollution of the ocean. And this is absolutely critical because we're not just talking about what happens this year or in six months time, we're talking about the, the accumulation. And this is, the, this is a classic um, issue of international law, the, uh, the evaluation of cumulative impacts the, uh, the uh, bioaccumulation of the, the radiation through different species is not just the, the issue of the, of the, yeah. the immediate radiation contamination, it's, it's mm -hmm. over 30 years. Yeah, exactly. That's the problem. And, and the thing is, right after the accident, instead of pausing the plan and looking into what happened, because it's Japanese workers that have been hospitalized. Instead of doing that, the next day, the company said, we are going to discharge the third batch of whatever water they call it. And shouldn't there be a pause and say, OK, if one of the hose can leak, can come loose, doesn't that mean that the facility is not very safe for the people who are operating it? Aina. I, I can't uh, comment on something like that. That would be speculation. But I can tell you this, there should have been some sort of pause. Where did that water come from? Why aren't they explaining to it? I mean, uh, my colleague says, oh, don't worry about it. It came from somewhere. Doesn't want to identify where it came from. But he said maybe, maybe it was not uh, the contaminated water. Uh, the fact is that, you know, the strategy here is very simple. How many shows of this are we going to do over the next 30 years? Every time they release this, or do we have to do another show about uh, you know, the fact that we, no one knows what's going to happen, as my other colleague has, has said? Um, they are doing this, what I call the drip-drip effect. They are going to release it every few weeks, and people are just going to get used to it. And then they just say, well, there's nothing we can do. Well, there is something we can do. That's why we're doing this show and highlight the voices that are opposing it. And in the international media, um, that Julian also talks about, you often hear that it's China alone having the opposition voices. But here is the news in September, that's after the first round of dispatch. Fishermen from Fukushima and five other prefectures in Japan, along Japan's northeastern coast, filed a lawsuit demanding a halt to the ongoing release. They say the discharge damages the livelihood of the fishing community and violates the residents' right to live peacefully, according to their lawyers. Julian, coming from expertise, do they not have the right to say stop it because they are directly being affected? Of course they have the right. And actually it's a, it's a good sign that the uh, Japanese society is open enough that it can allow some form of opposition to display. And I would say that in a democracy like Japan, it's normal to see for any public policy related to some technological process, it's normal to see some group of the population opposing. 
But that call is being ignored by the Japanese authority, despite the opposition, because the fishermen didn't start opposing yesterday. They started ever since the Japanese government announced in 2021 that they were going to discharge this water. Yeah, but of course, the Japanese government has to take into account so many other factors, so, so, social factors and economical factors, that it will not only listen to this particular group, the fishermen industry in Japan. There's many other reasons why Japanese government has decided to go forward with a plan that has been backed up by the International Atomic Energy Agency. But you say Japan is a agency. democracy. Well, in the democracy, you you now have you might have some groups that oppose some policy, and the policy will still go forward because many the rest of the society, other groups, are okay with the policy. This is so, yeah, this is democracy. Okay, according to the latest poll, I just want to give out the number: only fifty, a little over fifty percent of Japanese people support it. And we also have to listen to countries that are in the Pacific Ocean who are directly affected by this. And I want to quote late September the speech by the leader of Pacific Island Nation Solomon Islands. He was speaking at uh, the UN General Assembly. He said he was appalled at Japan's action to discharge the water. That's after Japan already started. To release the water, he said, the fact that the water is dumped into the ocean shows that it's not safe. But if you read the news again, the international news that's available, according to an AFP and GG story, the first paragraph of the report says, the leader of Solomon Islands, who has developed close ties with China on Friday, joined Beijing in denouncing Japan's release of wastewater from the crippled Fukushima nuclear power plant. Uh, Duncan, let me go to you. What are at play here? We hear the Solomon <coughs> Islands leader speaking. His voice is yeah. channeled, okay, to a certain degree, but why such a paragraph? This is because the Pacific Island community has shown itself to be very, very concerned about this. We know that the radiation will find its way into the North Pacific in the fullness of time. We know that Japan hasn't carried out a full environmental impact assessment. And we know that international law is very, very clear. This is a breach of international law. There's a fundamental obligation to ensure that activities under your jurisdiction are conducted to not cause damage to other states in the environment and to ensure that the pollution doesn't spread from their own waters to beyond the waters into the high seas where, where fishing is conducted and into the waters of other countries. And so if a country was to bring a case in the International Tribunal of the Law of the Sea against Japan calling for what are called provisional measures or an injunction, I have strong confidence that they would obtain that. And I think we're, Pacific Island countries are going to be forced to do this, as is Korea. You know, there are livelihoods on the line here, there's health on the line, there's the health of the ocean at stake. And it's not okay just to carry on polluting beyond the national jurisdiction, quite honestly, to avoid the cost. You know, there are other things they could have done. Um, you know, they could remove the tritium. There, there are, it's expensive. You know, but what they're doing is they're basically passing on the cost of, of pollution to, and, and by dumping it into the ocean, passing on that cost to other coastal states and many other countries that rely on, particularly on tuna, for their livelihoods and for the food security. And that is not acceptable. Hmm. Well, right now, the immediate question is what to do, because Japan insists and it is pushing ahead with this plan. China has been advocating for Japan to establish a comprehensive long-term international monitoring framework that involves sustained participation from various stakeholders. But the IAEA 
Director General Rafael Grossi said that the IAEA is an international organization with a mission to monitor Japan's discharge. For other countries to join the monitoring is like asking the IAEA to do the inspection in Iran with a group of countries. Aina, how do you look at this logic? Does the IAEA has the mandate to monitor the discharge on behalf of the international community? Does China or other countries have the right to say, let's do an international monitoring team? Well, his argument is very weak. It's been the United States position that the IAEA has to be in Iran and that they have to have full uh, access and that U.S. members have to be part of that process. But, you know, dealing with the IAEA, they're obviously compromised from this perspective. They do not generate or do their own testing. They are relying on IAEA. So when somebody says, uh, my colleague says that uh, IAEA is now transparent because I mean, not, I mean, that uh, TEPCO is now transparent because IAEA is observing. There's a difference between observing and being fed information and actually conducting your own testing. And they're not allowed to do that. So that is very suspicious. Uh, the, with internal documents within TEPCO have indicated that they've only released testing on a small amount of the waters that they have in these tanks spread out. It's been estimated somewhere will be under 10% or as little as 3%. So this, there is no transparency here. What you have is, uh, unfortunately, a country that is dumping its waste into the backyards of everyone around it, and they should be starting a lawsuit. I think that is the best way to clear this up. Mm -hmm. And if the IAEA wants to okay. get up and well, do things according to its mandate. By the way, I forgot to mention, I was in Europe for six years and I went into IAEA to report for I don't remember how many times. So I know that organization very, very well. And I found this to be very interesting. The Deputy Director General, Liddy Everard of IAEA said, I would say, after a, a recent visit on site, she said, I would say that the first two batches of releases went well. No issues were observed. Uh, our guest, uh, Julian, what is your comment here? Because for me, this is suspicious. First of all, does she have the authority to say that everything went well? Secondly, no issues were observed. Does that mean that there are no issues? Um, so many things here. <laughs> First, the IEA doesn't have a mandatory role to make recommendation for a country. The IEA has been mandated by Japan only to verify whether uh, the, waste, the wastewater discharge was uh, below safety standard, which it did. Uh, secondly, on the fact that the IEA is compromised and not transparent, these are accusations that needs to be backed up by evidence. So far, I know that China and other countries trust the IEA. Another thing is the IEA does have independent sampling and has its own independent monitoring and uh, radiation detector equipment that it uses to verify the radiation level of the water. And another point is that uh, we're talking about international cooperation on this matter. It happens that the IEA or Japan has invited Chinese expert, South Korean expert, and Canadian expert to actually do a marine environment studies review of the consequences of this discharge. So for me, there is no clear evidence. There is a problem of neutrality of the AEA, and so far we have ample evidence that the AEA is ensuring the transparency of the process. Mm. I, I, I have to comment. That's, it's nonsense. First off, the testing that you're referring to is after the fact. They're doing that after it's been released and saying, well, we don't see anything, so therefore nothing happened. The fact is they are not testing what's inside those tanks. 
And remember, the water inside those tanks is not the regular cooling water that is released by in many places around the world. It is water that was exposed to the core and has many okay. other contaminants. Can yeah. I react to that? Yeah. Uh, uh, can uh, I react to, react to that? One minute, please, because I, I want to bring in another guest who has been waiting. Please go ahead, Julian. Uh, the, uh, the fact to say that the water from Fukushima is different from water from a cooler plant is incorrect. You have always some leaking of fission products and some other radioactive products in the coolant water of reactors all around the world. This is regular. So this is an incorrect interpretation. All right. In okay. fact, the, okay, okay, let's stop there. Yeah, I'm sorry. Let me bring in our fourth guest, uh, um, Peter Kuznick, history professor and director of Nuclear Studies Institute at American University. Peter, I don't know which point you want to react to, but go ahead and keep it short. We're running very uh, late. Well, I haven't had a chance to hear much of the discussion. The scientific community is pretty well united that the water is safe. However, there's so much fear and concern associated with nuclear radiation, uh, that's not going to convince many people. We know that there are other plants that also uh, send actually more tritium at a higher rates into the water. Uh, but uh, this is really a combination of fear, and there's always fear, and irrational fear around radiation, and then there's a lot of unknowns. So, so many people would be, are just being very, very cautious right now, and especially China, the way it's reacting. Mm -hmm. But there's no love lost at this point between China and Japan. I mean, with Japan doubling its military spending at this point, uh, this is playing into the geopolitics in the region, okay. and, which, and that region is very, very tense right now. I get right your point. Now. All right. Um, Duncan, um, do you want to react to that? According to your knowledge, is the international scientific community unified in the conclusion that the plan is safe and reliable? No. no it, well, firstly, it's not. But secondly, they simply don't have the information. The IAE report did not conduct a full environmental impact assessment. We, we need to know, you know what is happening to this radiation. Is it going into the sediment? Is it going into the food chain? Is it being taken up by other, by, by other fish? We don't know that. So even if you go out and monitor that, you, you're, you don't have enough information because you haven't done the work. And that's a fundamental problem here. Japan has not undertaken a full environmental impact assessment. Mm. Okay. So we know what to look for. Mm -hmm. And so even going out there and testing for certain substances isn't going to tell you what's happening in the marine right. ecosystem. Yeah, and it's not going to tell you what the impacts are. My understanding that it's going to take time till you can detect any yes. change in the level of radioactivity. We are having our eyes wide open to see what is happening. But I have to leave it there. Many thanks to all four of my guests, Aina Tangan here in the studio, Julian de Lavansan from uh, Assistant Professor of Division of Public Policy at Hong Kong University of Science and Technology. Thank you very much. You were the minority here. Peter Kuznick, History Professor and Director of Nuclear Studies Institute at American University. And last but not least, from Kingston, Jamaica, Duncan Curry, an international law expert. With that, we come to the end of this special edition of The Point with me, Liu Xin, coming to you from Beijing.